It is a great honor to be with you guys here again. I think the last sermon I preached was Easter Sunday, and that was uh, April 10th or so. Um, And I've said this before, but I want to thank, first of all, thank the Lord and for the godly men that we have in this church, um, the elders, uh, Garen, Norm, uh, Mike, as well as the others who have filled in, uh, Matt, John, uh, Kevin, preaching over the past uh, few months. It's really been great. You know, someone asked me, do you miss preaching? And um, the honest side of me, you know, the pastoral side of me wants to say, well, absolutely. It's the highest privilege to preach God's word. And that's true. Okay, so I want you to hear that. But on the other hand, I was like, you know, it's really great just to be able to connect with people in the church and be able to focus on other things that, you know, I haven't been able to when you're preaching every week. And so that was only allowed, you know, at first I had some health issues, as you guys know about. Um, But now to be, uh, I I think our church is going to be far better off having spent this time um, over the past four months as it was. Today we're going to be beginning a new series. And this series is simply called Life. And the focus of this series is how do we know that we have eternal life with God? That central question, how do we know that we have eternal life with God, is going to run throughout this entire series. The series is going to go on for about six months. We're going to be focused on the New Testament books of First, Second, and Third John. And as we go through every week, we want to be keeping in the back of our minds, how do we know what is the sign, what is the principle, what is the assurance that I have as we go through these books that I have eternal life with God as a professing believer of Jesus Christ? Now, this topic is extremely important, this series, Life. And it's important because we have been thinking about the meaning of life. We have been rethinking the meaning of life over this entire season uh, that we, you know, this world, the world in which we've gone through over the past couple years. We've been rethinking and thinking the meaning of life on multiple levels. I can look at you in the congregation and myself, and I know that to be true. I think for myself, I've, uh, my near-death experience in the hospital in May uh, really got me rethinking the meaning of life and thinking a lot about issues of life and death. Um, I know there are many of you in this congregation where you are thinking about, deeply thinking about your life. You have great hopes for your life and how it could possibly change. Um, If I could only get that job, I need this money to get out of this debt that I'm in. If I could only have that one amazing relationship, my entire life would change. There's others of you in this church where you've been living under a tremendous burden of anxiety, of trauma that has happened to your life. And if that's you, we want you to know that the Lord has hope for you this morning. There's others of you that have been going through trials in your life. Some of you have received news from the doctor recently uh, of a new trial, new season of trial you may be going through in our church. There's others of you that might be here today or even listening online, and you are rethinking your life. Because you're, you're now open to God in ways that perhaps you haven't been in the, in the past. And I think all of us are looking around at this world around us and saying, this is a strange new world we've entered into. This is a new 
uh, definition of life. As we just look around at what is happening in our culture, this is a strange new world of life for all of us. We look at people like Richard Branson and Jeff Bezos going into space and inviting us to to begin a new life in space and and that kind of experience. Uh, There are people in this church that um, are experimenting with medications to extend the telomeres on the ends of their chromosomes um, through certain you know, uh, therapies that they're taking. I saw a video yesterday, and I actually showed Lorraine and Darcy at this morning. Uh, it's an, it's uh, just kind of video that came out when I was watching YouTube. And this parents bring come into their son's room. Their son looks like he's about eight years old. And they bring this robot in to become friends with the child. And they st- the robot starts dialoguing with the child. And the parents are like, this is your new friend. And, you know, he's encouraging them to write love letters to their mom and to make friends at school. And the kid just comes home and talks to the robot in his room. And uh, it's a strange new world, right? Uh, Any of you guys are following all of the uh, strange developments in the world of modern finance. In the past couple of weeks, someone made a JPEG of a rock. Like a regular rock that would take a graphic artist, What probably about, you know, 15 minutes to make. Someone bought that for $1.5 million recently. Another person made a JPEG of a, of a what's called a crypto punk zombie. Just a picture of a zombie, you know, like a, like a kind of a clip art kind of graphic zombie. Someone bought that recently for, I think it was $5 million. It's a strange world we're living in right now. Um, and I think the outside world, the world outside of the church is... Look, is, is coming to these questions and these struggles and these fears. It's coming to these hopes about their life. The outside world is saying, how do we face this strange new world? How do we face this new life? And they're saying, you know what? We're going to do that by abandoning God and finding alternatives to God. And that's how we're going to deal with this life. You are here, and I am here this morning, because we think differently. We think differently here in the church because amidst all of these questions about the meaning and the struggles and the questions and the hope of life, we are here in the church to think differently than the world. We're not here to abandon God. We're not here to look to alternatives. God, we are here to ask the question, how, what does it look like to have God at the center of my life? What does it look like? For me to know, to have the assurance that I have the eternal life of God living in me through the life of Jesus Christ. The epistle of 1 John. 1 John chapter 5 verse 13, John says this, To us who believe, know that we have eternal life. That is why 1 John is written. It is written to believers so that we may have assurance that we have the eternal life of God living within us through Jesus Christ. And so this series, Life, is going to look at that question. How do we know that we have eternal life with God? Is it really, has it really happened in my life? We're going to go through a series of tests, of principles, of signs that John gives throughout this epistle. And as you go through this over the next several months, you want to be asking yourself, is this me? Is this evidence that Jesus Christ and his eternal life has truly come to live within me. Today we're going to look at the first two principles, the first two 
uh, signs, the first two assurances that the eternal life of God has come to us in Jesus Christ. And these two assurances come in the form of number one, we know that we have the life, eternal life of God within us when we believe the testimony of the Christian faith. When we believe the testimony of faith. And number two, when we are in fellowship with God's people and in fellowship with God and Jesus. When we believe in the testimony of faith, number one, and number two, when we are in fellowship with God's people and God through Jesus Christ. What I want to do right now is I want to um, invite you to stand, and we're going to go ahead and read our passage this morning. Let's go to 1 John chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. <clears throat> 1 John chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. Let's stand now for the reading of God's word. The Apostle John writes this. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our and was made manifest to us. Verse 3. That which that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Let's pray together. Father, it is our prayer this morning that through the renewing of our minds, through your word, that the words of the Apostle John, inspired by the Holy Spirit, would make our joy complete by assuring those of us who have faith, who have the testimony, who have the fellowship, that the eternal life of God does indeed live within us. That is the greatest assurance we can have this morning, Lord. Maybe not that all of our problems are fixed, but that you are at the center of our life as we face them. And so, Lord, would you bless us during this time? Would you cast out any worldly lies that have been placed in our hearts? And would we be fully surrendered able to receive the truth that you have for us. In your name we pray, amen. Go ahead and seat. Thank you. Some background to 1 John. Uh, the Apostle John was one of the original 12 disciples, uh, along with Peter, Andrew, and James. They were all fishermen. The Apostle John is described in the Gospel of John five times as the disciple that Jesus loved. He was part of the inner circle. You know, Jesus had the 12, he had the 72. But Jesus also had this inner circle of disciples, Peter, James, and John. John was part of that inner circle, kind of like besties with Jesus among the disciples. John is writing 1 John at the end of the first century. He's probably in his 90s at this point. It's about 10 years after uh, or so that he wrote the Gospel of John. This is maybe about... uh, uh, oh, now 60 plus years after the actual ministry of Jesus. This is some time afterwards. And he's writing this, scholars believe, from the city of Ephesus, which is in the country of Turkey. Now, we know from the apostles Luke, Paul, and John, who wrote in the books of Acts, Ephesians, First and Second Timothy, and Revelation, we know what type of city Ephesus was like. Lorraine and I had the opportunity to visit Ephesus, um, what, two years ago. We, you know, we went on a tour of the Apostle Paul's uh, journeys throughout the New Testament in the book of Acts. So we went to Philippi, Berea, Thessalonica, Corinth, Athens, and, and um, 
And we went to Ephesus, and we both agreed that there was the deepest feeling of evil there, of pagan idolatry there, of any place that we visited. In in fact, um, we know something about Ephesus from Luke, Paul, and John. And it's in some ways not unlike um, Los Angeles. It's not unlike little Tokyo. Ephesus was. Um, It was not far from the, the ocean. Ephesus was pagan. It was uh, filled with pagan Gentiles. If you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 18 and 19. This is how Paul described the Gentiles that were at Ephesus. This is where John is writing from in Ephesus. Uh, The people were pagan. Uh, Paul says this. uh, The Gentiles are darkened in their understanding alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance as in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves over up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. This is the type of pagans that were at Ephesus. Um, Think of the Hunger Games. Think of the people at the Capitol, you know, that were rooting on these Hunger Games That would have been the type of Gentiles that were at Ephesus. They were pagan. Another way to describe the Ephesians is they were in the midst of demonic activity. In Acts 19, we learn that uh, there was a a slave girl who was was, uh, following Paul. And Paul finally had to uh, cast that demon out. There was people who were demon-possessed at Ephesus. We also learn that there was a temple to Artemis, which is this female goddess. And Lorraine and I saw the actual temple at Ephesus where people, and that was right, you know, within 200 yards of where the church would meet in the house churches. So it was right there in the center of the city. Ephesus was demonic. Think of uh, the series Stranger Things in Hawkins, Indiana. Think of all the weird occultic lies that go on in that series. And you would have had the spirituality of Ephesus. Wolves would arise uh, from within their own congregation. They would come clothed as sheep but become wolves. And we know that that's true. We know as Paul wrote 1 and 2 Timothy back to Timothy when he pastored Ephesus. That there were false teachers that did indeed arise at Ephesus. And we know that the effect of that in Romans 2. That the church turned out to be leave their first love of Christ. And so this is the context in which John writes 1 John. It was pagan. It was demonic. It was full of false teachers. He's probably writing this to combat an early version of Gnosticism, this idea that there's this higher knowledge above the Christian faith. And throughout 1 John, you're going to notice that John speaks in absolutes. He's not a middle ground type of guy. It's this or it's that. It's black or it's white. It's right or it's wrong. So some of the themes that you're going to see in 1 John is the theme of light versus darkness. The theme of love versus hate. The theme of belief versus unbelief. The theme of life and not having life. And so he is writing this to provide an absolute sense of clarity. To say you are this or you are that. To be clear. Very Uh, antithetical to our modern day culture, right? It's like kind of, well, as long as you're authentic, as long as you, you know, uh, I I really don't have a right to tell you what to believe. I just know what I believe. That's not John. 
John is saying you're this or you're that. And that's the bottom line. I love him for that. And so again, he is writing First John to remind us how you can know that you have eternal life. And so let's go to our passage. We're looking at two points today, two assurances. Again, the first is you can know that you have eternal life if you believe in the testimony of the faith. If you believe in the testimony, we have looked upon him. Verse 1, we have touched him with our own hands. Verse 2, this is the life that was manifest to us, Jesus Christ. Verse 3, we have heard him. John speaks as one who knew Jesus Christ intimately for three years of his public ministry, maybe even beyond that, probably beyond that, uh, before that. And what we find here is John's testimony. We are being asked to believe the Apostle John's testimony of who Jesus is. He's saying, I know him. I have lived with him. I have seen him. I have heard him. And we are being asked at this point to establish, to place our trust in the credibility of John, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Um, You're going to find in the Christian faith that your faith is predicated on you choosing to believe or not believe in the testimony of the apostles, in the testimony of our Lord. Uh, The Christian faith does not ask you to believe primarily in the testimony of science. Science is actually reconcilable in many ways with the Christian faith. But the Christian faith is not waiting there begging for acceptance at the throne of science. The Christian faith is not a testimony of the evidence of science that's proved in the laboratory. It is also not the testimony... For you to uh, find your own spirituality. One out of every three people that you pass on the street today. Describes themselves as what's called a spiritual nun. I'm spiritual. I'm good. I'm just not religious. That's a form of basically saying. My own testimony of what I believe is what? What I form my own spirituality to be. And there are people who would rather choose that testimony. Of creating their own spirituality over the testimony of scripture. The Christian faith is not just, it's not a testimony of science primarily. It's not a testimony of you to find your own spirituality, but it's also not a testimony for you to just believe in your own good work. I mean, you see many people out there saying, you come to my seminar, you come to my three-day weekend. I'm going to teach you how to be a man. I'm going to teach you how to uh, excel in business, in your marriage, with your kids, in, in, in your personal life, in your health. I'm going to teach you how to believe in yourself. That's not the Christian faith. That's not the testimony that brings you eternal life. What the testimony is one. That's why John says that which was from the beginning. That is referring to Jesus Christ. The beginning is referring to when God was at the beginning. He is saying Jesus is God because he was also there at the beginning. In verse 2, he says that Jesus was with the Father. The Father is who? The Father is God. So, John is saying that the testimony 
that assures you that you have eternal life is the belief that Jesus is God. Jesus is the Father. Jesus was from the beginning. The testimony that, God, uh, that John gives is not just that Jesus was God, but that we have life with God through Jesus. We have life with God through Jesus. In verse 1, that's why Jesus Christ is called the Word of Life. Verse 2, that's why it says that he is the eternal life that was made manifest to us. Jesus is the source of life with God. Jesus said directly in John 3, if anyone believes in me, he will not perish but have eternal life. He said in the testimony that you and I are being asked to believe in is that Jesus is God, that eternal life with God is found through Jesus. And thirdly, that the word of God, the scriptures, this passage that we're reading is the revelation. It is the revelation of God to us. It's not a book of myths. It's not a book of morals. It's not uh, one book from a prophet among many prophets throughout human history. The testimony of faith that leads to eternal life is the belief that this is indeed the actual word of God. It is the actual holy scriptures inspired by the Holy Spirit. That this is the revelation of God to us. This is why it says in verse 2. This is what we testify to. Verse 3, we proclaim to you. Verse 4, we write this to make our and, or, and your joy complete. He's te- John is testifying. He's proclaiming. He's writing. And that is all found in the word of God. You see, the testimony of eternal life. It is our belief that God has revealed divinely who he is, what the meaning of life is, where our eternal destiny lies, what our origins are, Through this revelation. Let me ask you a question. Whose testimony are you believing this morning? We're all believing in testimonies, right? We, We don't think about this, but so many of us, myself included, are shaped simply by the testimonies of other people. What they tell us. I, um, I was on YouTube. Recently, you know, I have to get a colonoscopy. It's going to be fun uh, in a couple of weeks. And I also have to get gallbladder removal surgery in about a month. And so, of course, I'm going to go on YouTube and listen to people's testimonies of their own experience, right? I probably do that a little bit too much, but hey, I, I like to research things. Um, but I'm listening to these people about, you know, what happened to them in the hospital or what it's like. Uh, but I'm listening to these testimonies, right? And it's influencing me. Uh, I remember about a month ago, I was just listening to NPR. And uh, the host was doing a, an interview with some analyst for Afghanistan. And I remember the reporter asked the analyst, this is like a month ago. They said, you know what? One of the concerns that people have is that if the, if the U.S. just pulls out, 
that the Taliban is just going to take over. And the analysts are like, there, you know what, let me tell you something. That is not going to happen like that. Okay, we have trained these soldiers. I mean, that is a very remote possibility of them just coming in and taking over like you people, like some people suggest. I really don't think that's, well, if you're going to believe that guy's testimony, did it, did that happen? No. Uh, I was talking with Chris Grangdang uh, yesterday, and uh, I was like, you know what? Um, our church might develop this futuristic ministry of the metaverse, you know? And uh, I'm going to give you some videos on YouTube. Check out this guy. He's kind of like a Morpheus-like figure from the Matrix. He's talking about the Metaverse Web 3. Check him out. You know, we'll have this conversation about how we can use this for ministry. That's a testimony about what the future will look like. Yesterday, I saw an interview with Dr. Fauci. And he was being asked because um, there was this one famous podcaster who has a deal with Spotify, and they showed a clip of him saying, look, if you're young, if you're healthy, I don't think you should get the vaccine. They showed that clip to Fauci, and Fauci saying, you know what? If you're young and healthy, you should absolutely get the vaccine. That's a testimony, right? An hour later, I was looking up this website, and this is the headline that says, QAnon anti-vaxxers brainwash kids stuck at home, and now teachers have to deprogram them. Which testimony are you going to believe? Are you going to believe Fauci or the QAnon anti-vaxxers? These are two different testimonies. I will tell you when you are ready for the testimony of the Christian faith. When you are ready to believe that the Holy Scriptures are indeed declaring to you the testimony of faith, that will lead you to eternal life. At what point are you ready to receive that? Because not everyone is. You are ready to receive the testimony of Jesus Christ when the following happens to you. You're ready when you are done with being tossed to and fro like the waves and the wind in the sea. By the testimonies of the world. When you realize, I don't know who to believe. Because people are telling me the exact opposite. It's confusing to me. I give up. I guess I'll just believe in myself. When you come to the end of that. And you realize that nobody out there in the world is really telling you the truth. They're just taking educated guesses. They're giving you their opinions. They might be telling you some, you know, scientific truths here and there, but the not the most important truth. You cannot learn the most important truths from the world. You can find practical truths, but the most important truths that you need for your life are spiritual truths. The most important truths that you need for your life are truths about God. And that is only found in the word of God. Are you ready for that testimony? Or are you still at the place where uh, I'll take my chances with the world and myself? You are ready for the testimony of Jesus Christ when you're done with being tossed to and fro by conscience testify against you. When you're done with having your guilty conscience 
testify against you. We all have a conscience. What's it only goes off when what? There's danger. There's something wrong going on. Have you come to the point this morning where you are done with having your own conscience testify against you? Man, I know that I'm evil. I don't like this. What if there is a God? What if what I'm hearing about the gospel of Jesus Christ is actually true? Do I want to take my chances on trusting myself? Do I want to take my chances on trusting just someone I find on YouTube? Or do I want to trust the word of God? Do I want, am I tired of having a guilty conscience and not having the assurance of eternal life? If that is you, then you are ready to receive the testimony of Jesus Christ. You are ready for the eternal life of God. And that is how you find life through that testimony. Um, let's go on to a second point this morning. You find life through choosing to believe in the testimony of faith. There's a second way that our passage talks about where you find life. It, and that is by having fellowship we see that when we have fellowship with God's people and with God the Father and Jesus Christ. When we have fellowship with God's people and God the Father and Jesus Christ. Go back to, with me to verse 3. John says this. That which we have seen and heard and proclaim also to you. So that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Fellowship with us, us, the plural being the church. Fellowship with the Father and Jesus Christ. The word fellowship comes from the Greek word koinonia. It means to be joined together. It means to have communion with someone. The way that you can know that you have eternal life, is not that I choose to come to church and therefore I have eternal life. But if you have the eternal life of God within you, then you will be drawn into fellowship with God's people. Let me say that again. It is not going to have fellowship with the church that saves you, that establishes eternal life in your life, but your desire, your choice, you're being drawn into fellowship by your choice with the body of Christ is a sign, is an assurance that you have eternal life with God. Why are you here this morning? Why am I here? I doubt that you're here this morning because you made a choice to say, these people in this 95-degree weather, they're the most beautiful, physically beautiful people I've seen all week. They smell the best. They're the nicest people. They're nicer than the people at Trader Joe's. They're more successful. They're the funnest people I could imagine being around. They're the most peaceful people, even more peaceful than the people in my yoga class. Is that why we're here? 
No. Because the reality is, you're going to find better looking people than us out there. You find people that smell better. You're going to find people that are nicer at Trader Joe's than us. You're going to find people that are more successful, have more money than the people here at the church this morning. You're going to find people that you can have more fun with at a party than us here today. You're going to find people that are more peaceful in your meditation class, or seemingly so. That's not why we're here. The reason why we are here, gathered together, is because the Holy Spirit has been placed within those who believe. The Holy Spirit of Jesus has been placed in you when you chose to believe. Ephesians 1, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit came to live inside of you, guess what? He's now drawing you, he's pulling you in the direction of the body of Christ. Why? Because the gathered church is the body of Christ. Christ is the head. The church is the body of Christ. You're here not your anxiety or help you to be more successful or just be a nicer person. You're here primarily because we have all made a commitment of faith. And in that commitment, there has been a spiritual change in you that the Holy Spirit has brought you here. That you you recognize the truth that I'm not supposed to do my Christian faith on my own. I'm supposed to be in community with other believers. And that's good for me. It's important and it's right. The reason why I'm here this morning, you guys, is because when I find that when I come to gather with the church, um, I am greatly encouraged in my faith. I see God in you. I am here because I have trusted God. He's commanded me to be in fellowship with his people, and I want to obey that. Now, I obey that not primarily just out of the fear of the Lord, although that's part of it. I don't want to disobey Almighty God. I don't want to be disciplined by God. So there is that sense. But I am here because for some reason, God has moved me to obey him. And and that's very assuring to me. Because I could be doing a dozen other things on a Sunday morning than being here in 95 degree weather. And you could too. And yet you are here. Why? It's because this is one of the assurances that the eternal life of God is within us when we are drawn into fellowship with God's people. But it's not just being drawn into fellowship with God's people. Again, in verse 3, he says, And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Another assurance is not just being in fellowship with God's people, but that we desire to be in fellowship with our Father God and Jesus Christ. Many of you know Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 and 29. Maybe you were taught it when you were a kid, or you've heard it quoted endlessly on the internet. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 and 29. Um, 
Come to me, all you who are weak and weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you because I am gentle, I am lowly in heart, etc. You know those verses, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 and 29. But do you know verse 27, the verse that comes before that? In verse 27, the verse that comes before that, those verses, Jesus says that um, all things have been given to me by my Father. He says, no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. And those to whom the Son, the Son, except the Father. Okay, well, but then nobody knows the Father except the Son. And those to whom the Son has chosen to reveal himself to. So what is happening here is that when you choose to proclaim faith in Jesus Christ, you are not primarily being brought into fellowship with the body of Christ. You are being brought into fellowship with who? The Father and the Son and the fellowship that the two of them have together. They model for us fellowship in their relationship so that we can have fellowship with one another as well. And not with me. Well, we would have been in a lot of trouble, right? Because 95% believed, over 95, 90, 90, 95% of the people have believed, okay, there, there's someone up there. Something up there. They may call God by different names or they may call themselves God. But they believe that there's something out there beyond themselves. With us, verse 3, with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. If you want to know what God is like, you look at Jesus. You look at Jesus. This is why Jesus is so important. This is why Paul said in Colossians 1, that God, in Colossians 2 again, he said, God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell within Jesus Christ. If you want to know the character of God, you look at who? You look at Jesus. This is forgiveness and forgiveness, and so therefore I want to do that. That's a good thing, to an extent, to die for our sins and rise again from the dead. It is the work of the divine Jesus that gives us the way to love, gives us the way to forgiveness, gives us the way to holiness, gives us the way to wisdom and joy. It is Jesus' divinity that allows us to come into fellowship with God, the Father, and with him. And it is his humanity that models for us what it looks like to be a human being when Jesus is at the center of your life. You know when you're ready for the fellowship, for the fellowship with the Father and the Son? Not everyone is. That fellowship with your spouse is not going to give you eternal life. That you're ready for fellowship with the Father and the Son, Jesus Christ. When you come into some money and you realize it's nice, but uh, it can also bring a lot of problems, stresses and anxiety into my life. And uh, that's not what's going to bring me eternal life. 
may bring me some freedom to choose, but it's not going to bring me eternal life. I've wanted it with friends or family or whatever. Um, there are some relationships that crash and burn, some relationships that turn evil. I, I think about times in my life when I just want to chuck it and say, I'm just going to rely on myself. I can trust myself. That, that's what I'll do. I'll trust myself. Because other people have let me down. And at least if I trust myself, I have no one to blame but myself. And I can live like that. No. See, you, you get wisdom as you grow older. And you realize that fellowship with yourself is going to end in despair. That's what Solomon wrote, the book of Ecclesiastes. He goes, you know what? In the end, I did everything. I had every pleasure. I had every power. I had every wealth. I had every amount of fame. And it was all, what? Vanity of vanities. I'd come to the end of my despair and anxiety. I'd come to the end of myself. And so finally, I have come to realize that the the end of life is to fear God and keep his commandments. Book of Ecclesiastes. So this morning, as we close, In 1 John, verse 1 through 4, we have been reminded, the bottom line comes down to this. We've been reminded that the testimony in which we believe, which we choose to believe, is either going to be an indication to you that the eternal life of God has come to you, both now and forever. The eternal life as God has come to you to save you from your sins, to save you from death, to save you from judgment and wrath in eternity. That's going to be an assurance to you if you believe the testimony. If you do not believe the testimony, John, again, he's very black and white. He's very clear. It's this or that. He is saying to you this morning, the word of God is you do not have the assurance of eternal life. Both now or in eternity. It's a hard thing to hear, but it is the truth. And secondly, John wants to leave you with asking yourself, who am I in fellowship with? Do I see evidence in my life that I'm being drawn? And even though I feel it's my own free choice, but I'm actually being drawn by the Holy Spirit into fellowship with God's people. Is it your desire to be in fellowship with God and Christ? And if so, if so, then you can have assurance that God's eternal life It's come to you and to me. And that's the greatest assurance that you can hear this morning. Let's pray together. Father, this morning as we have um, come to the end of our study on testimony, on fellowship, Lord, we thank you for blessing us with speaking through the malaise and the lies, um, the confusion of the world. Your church is not confused, Lord, because your word is not confused. It speaks authoritatively into our lives in a world that hates authority. Because it is the revelation of God to us. And we hold that up here. Because you have drawn us to yourself in fellowship. And you have caused us to believe in the testimony of faith. And so we can walk in victory, Lord. Not through our own power, but in our own weakness. Knowing that the eternal life of God 
has come to us now and in the future will be there for us as well through Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen and amen. So we close here uh, this morning. I want to encourage you to, uh, we do this on the first Sunday of the month. We receive communion. And communion is a time when God's people come together and we, um, we remember. We remember the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ and we remember and we reflect on the fellowship that we have with the Father God through Christ's work on the cross. If you don't have your communion elements, make sure you go back to the back and get them. And um, we're going to take a moment right now receive this represents the broken body of Christ on the cross the juice represents his shed blood this time of communion is time um, that we are to reflect on our lives Paul said in 1 Corinthians that this is a time when we are to examine our lives examine means to think about your need for Christ Do not think too highly of yourself. It means to remember that your sin and my sin is covered over by the blood of Christ on the cross. It means that for those of us who believe, we are forgiven. We are cleansed. You want to use this time as a solemn time. Not just to say, hey, I'm going to do it as a ritual. You want to use this time to say, Lord, I believe as I lift this up to you in prayer, as I remember, I will be changed I will be changed because remembering the Lord, you are not changed. How can you not be changed by what the Lord has done for you and remembering that? As we receive this, this is a reminder to you that as we, we don't do this in isolation, we do this as what? The body of Christ. God, God's body was broken so that the body of Christ could be brought together. We are receiving this in community, in fellowship with one another. And so as we receive this together, it is also a reminder that you've been brought together through Christ, not just for a personal salvation, but for what? But for a community that God has created called the church. This is where God is, the kingdom of God. And so as you receive this, be reminded that you are declaring this, that you are a follower of Christ. Finally, Paul reminds us, if you receive this in an unworthy manner, you do this just as a, you know, uh, in something that's just, doesn't matter. You know, you just kind of do out a ritual. You don't reflect. Or you do this as an unbeliever. Paul actually warns and says, that's why some people get sick and die. So something spiritual is actually happening here, right? So let's receive communion now. And ask the Lord's blessing upon this time. Lord, we need to be reminded of your testimony. The fellowship that we have within you. Through our professions of faith. And when you're ready, you guys, you can go ahead and receive the the bread. And hear the crunch in your body reminding you of the crushed bones and flesh of Christ. And as you drink the juice, the blood that was flowing from Jesus' body. Let that remind you of that for his great love for you and his great salvation for us who believe. As we close together now, Father God, through Jesus Christ, 
May God be at the center of your life this week amidst your trials, temptations, and testing, your worries, your struggles, your anxieties, your hopes. May he be at the center of your life, strengthening you in your weakness and in my weakness, Lord. And may you go forward now with the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, the love of God, and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. God bless you guys. Thank you for worshiping with us. Um, Have a great weekend.